HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby, broadcast live to the Cosmos on the Heritage Radio Network. Good Sunday to you, and welcome to another episode of Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Ann Saxelby. Our show today has been sponsored by Hearst Ranch. Hearst Ranch is, a la- is the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. Since 1865, the Hearst family has raised cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of the Central California coast. The result is beef with an extraordinary flavor that's as memorable and natural as is the surrounding landscape. For more information, visit them on the web at www.hearstranch.com. And I owe another debt of gratitude to Hearst Ranch for Brian Kenny the um, fabulous performer who uh, sings the intro song to Cutting the Curd. He is also a Hearst Ranch guy, so thanks, Brian. (laughs) Um, So on Cutting the Curd today, I am very pleased to have with me uh, my good friend Martin Johnson, uh, who is the founder of uh, The Joy of Cheese, which is a really wonderful series of uh, informal cheese tastings in New York. Um, And... uh, for the episode today, we I'm gonna we're gonna chat with Martin, and then later on we're gonna be chatting with Leslie Cooper Band of Prairie Fruits Farm, which is um, Illinois' first farmstead cheese producer. And um, I just thought it was appropriate since Martin and I are both from Illinois that we would join together, join forces for the state of cheese uh, in Illinois. So, Martin, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Um, so, uh, how did you uh, get started with the joy of cheese? Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what you do? Oh, sure. Um, the short of it is this: I'm a freelance journalist, and um, and there has never, well, there have rarely been moments in recent history where that was a particularly secure way to make ends meet. So, I've often had sidelights in the food business, and um, I go in, I go out, and when I came back to the business in 2003. Frankly, I was astonished by the caliber of cheese that was available to New Yorkers, and I was also appalled by the uh, lack of information channels. I feel like you could learn a good bit about wine or beer by just going to good retailers and uh, 
taking paying attention to what's being handed out for free. Whereas there was nothing of that ilk for cheese of the caliber that you and I like to deal with. So I was trying to think of a way to um, expand those information channels. And a friend of mine suggested going to people's homes and holding cheese tastings. Well, that sounded like a lot of fun because I would get to see apartments that were far better than the ones I have <laughs> I live in. And, um, and it proved to be a really good way to introduce people to the caliber of hand, the variety and caliber of handcrafted cheese and help them connect the dots between what they like and why they like it. And so now that's so it's interesting. You started in people's homes, but I know that you also do tastings in quite a few great bars around the city. Um, who are some of your partners in that area where people could find Joy of Cheese events? The three principal, um, the three monthly clients that I have are um, DBA Brooklyn, here, uh, which is here in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and um, right off the first stop of the L train and uh, after Manhattan. And um, I do a tasting almost the first Tuesday of every, it's almost always the first Tuesday of every month, and we pair cheeses with beer there. We do seven cheeses and seven beers. I talk about the cheeses. The owner, Ray Dieter, talks about beers. In fact, Ray Dieter is the host of beer sessions here on Heritage Radio Network. It's a small world. um, Then I work with two places on Clinton Street that are a block apart, and I certainly didn't intend that, but both places have been wonderful at developing their own independent constituencies. One is called Clerkenwell, and it's on on the Lower East Side on Clinton Street between Stanton and Rivington, and the other is called Culture Fix, and it's um, just south of Houston Street. Fantastic. Well, you know, it's really a wonderful thing to be able to um, have access to an event like that where people can come and learn a great deal about cheese, drink some delicious beer or wine, depending on the venue, and not have it be, you know, a million dollars and have it just be a fun, interactive experience. Okay. That's um, exactly it. The uh, the events are the, the events are never are rarely more than twenty five dollars, and I do that because I don't see the point in charging people eighty five dollars to bask in your presence and taste some good cheese. It, I mean, there are pace, <laughs> there there are uh, outfits that do that, and um, you know my bank account and my landlord envies them. But on the whole, if you're not making this caliber of product accessible to people, then they're never going to get interested in it. Absolutely, amen. That's uh, that's what I think about my shop too. It's like just give people a taste, make it make it fun, and uh, you know, create some new new cheese lovers. Um, so, well, we're actually going to take a really quick break, and when we come back from the break, we are going to be patched in to Leslie from Prairie Foods Farm. So, stay with us. And it's good sometime to make real the world of fantasy and make believe, as some people do. Some people like like hobos, for instance, sometimes. One sunny day in the month of May, a burly bum came hiking down the shady lane by the sugar cane, a looking for his liking. As he strolled along, he sang a song of the land of milk and honey, where a bum can stay for many a day, and he don't need any money. Oh, the buzzing of the bees in the cigarette trees, the soda water fountain, the lemonade springs where the bluebird sings on the big rock candy mountain. We are back on Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Ann Saxelby, and my guests today are Martin Johnson, founder of The Joy of Cheese, uh, which is a series of cheese tastings here in New York City. And uh, we are also being joined by Leslie Cooper Band of Prairie Fruits Farm, and we're talking about the state of cheese in Illinois. Um, 
Leslie, are you with us? Yes, I am. Hello. Um, thank you so much for being on the show. You're welcome. Um, well, so, you know, uh, the three, the things that, you know, the three of us have in common is that we are all at some point from Illinois, um, myself from Libertyville, which is a small town, um, north of Chicago, Martin, where are you from originally? Uh, originally I'm from the South side of Chicago. Um, I was born, my parents lived in Lake Meadows when I was born and I grew up in Hyde Park Kenwood. Cool. And, and, uh, Leslie Prairie Fruits is located down in Champaign-Urbana, right? That's correct, yes. Cool. So three Illinoisians. <laughs> um, well, we are really excited to, to talk with you today um, because, you know, being Illinois' first farmstead cheese producer, um, we're just really interested to hear what, um, you know, uh, how you got started and, and what's going on in uh, the world of cheese in Illinois. So could you tell us a little bit about your farm and how you guys got started making cheese? Sure. Uh, my uh, my husband, uh, Wes Gerald, and I moved here uh, in 2003 from Madison, Wisconsin. Actually, we um, we uh, cheese making is is a second career for me. Uh, prior prior to becoming a cheesemaker, I was a professor of soil science at the University of Wisconsin in Madison, and uh, my husband West was offered a job here at the University of Illinois in Champaign Urbana. So. We we moved here and fortuitously found uh, our farm, which was actually uh, a farmhouse with uh, seven acres that was carved off of a 40-acre corn and soybean farm. And uh, we decided at that point that we wanted to have a small, diversified farm with fruit trees and um, the idea of, of goats and starting a dairy kind of came came secondary to that, but that actually it's become the main thing of what we do. So we got, we got a few goats in 2004, um, three does and, and one buck specifically, and uh, I, had, I did not grow up on a farm, and, and actually I, I had a very urban upbringing, and uh, so we started small and simple, and, uh, which was a really good thing because we didn't well my my husband had had goats when he was growing up but not not uh in a full-fledged dairy setting that we were anticipating so it was good that we started with with just a few and then then we decided to go commercial and in 2005 we built our our creamery and our our dairy and got licensed as the first farmstead uh, creamery in the state of illinois Wow, that's incredible. So, well, the, from the very get-go, I feel like, you know, your background as a, as a soil science, um, you know, professor probably informs so much of, of what you guys do. Um, I mean, I just find it really fascinating that, you know, in the middle of a landscape, you said, you know, dominated mostly by corn and soybeans, that, you know, you, you have sort of a completely different um, outlook um, with your farm. Um, how do you feel like that background sort of influences, you know, the way that you guys do what you do? Well, it it uh, it actually has been really beneficial to to have that the science background, but in particular, I think soil science because it has chemistry and biology and a little bit of everything is a really good foundation for cheese making because there's so many of the same same concepts when you're dealing with the 
with a microbially mediated process like cheese making it's, yeah. it's it's very helpful and as far as the what what we do and and why we decided to do it um we uh, we have uh, have worked with farmers in the past in in an academic setting and and for me particularly I really wanted the opportunity to to have a go at it myself to convince myself that I could actually do the things that that I had been telling other people to do for years and um doing uh, having a having a lot of diversity having mixed livestock as well as crops and uh restoring the soil fertility and because our our farm even though it's on prairie soils was pretty beat beaten up when we when we got it so we spent a lot of time improving the soil fertility now uh, since we're you know in the state of cheese series that i've been doing you know of course focusing on dairy you know um and cheese in in different states but can you tell us um a little bit about the agricultural history of, of illinois and what's happened um, you know, because, yeah, what was it, 150 years ago, there, the soils there were probably the best in the entire world. Um, could, would you be comfortable or willing to comment on that? Sure. I mean, the, this part of the state of Illinois, central Illinois in particular, and Champaign County specifically, is dominated by what are called prairie soils. And uh, they were um, created uh, after the, the glaciers uh, moved moved off the landscape and then all this beautiful wind-blown silty material deposited on top and then these prairie grasses started to grow and created this really rich uh very fertile but also very wet uh soil and the native americans that that lived in this area actually uh navigated through this area for a good part of the year with canoes we were told because it was really a very wet prairie and when the Europeans came and and uh, saw the vastness of the prairie, they 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 realized that they really couldn't cultivate it until they dealt with the, the excess water. So they tile drained most of this area. And if if it wasn't for them draining it, uh, it they really wouldn't have been able to uh, convert it into the the grain intensive production that it is today. But they were they were basically taking advantage of the very high organic matter in in the soils when they drained it and then started to till it and and, and grow crops on it. Wow, that's really really fascinating. I'm I'm kind of becoming more the deeper I get into my exploration of, you know, cheese stuff, I feel like I'm just becoming a history geek. It's so fascinating to hear how all this kind of comes to pass. Yeah, yeah, and it, it is uh it is interesting what kinds of crops people decided to grow here based on the the soils. Because, you know, Wisconsin, which isn't geographically very far from here, but the landscape and the soils are so different that seem to lend itself more to to dairying and northern Illinois the same thing but here in central Illinois it was more more suitable or so they felt for grain but um, but we we actually think that this land you can grow anything on this soil it's just so incredibly fertile and so what's the process been like for you guys to rehabilitate your soils well our first year we didn't do anything except plant a cover crop um, we, we put all of our acreage into buckwheat for the first year so that we could begin to restore the soil and then the following year is when we started planting uh, planting our fruit trees planting some pasture and just basically putting it all into 
permanent vegetation, perennial crops. And over time, we've uh, we've acquired more land, not not through ownership, but through rental of adjacent pieces um, of property, and we've uh, converted all of that from cash grain to pasture and to hay field. So we're we're now and and we're managing it all organically. I, I should mention all of our land is is um, well, our fruit is certified organic, but our our pastures and our and our hay is managed organically. So it, it's been a it's been a, a five six year process of taking what was a a very uh, simple cropping rotation of corn and soybeans to uh, permanent vegetation and very diverse vegetation. Wow, that is really, really awesome. Um, Well, uh, we've kind of reached the midpoint of the show. I think now would be a good time to take a really quick break. But when we come back, um, we'll talk more about your farm and and the kinds of cheeses you make and the fruit and, and the whole the whole nine yards. So stick with us. All right. My daddy is an engineer, my brother drives a hack, my sister takes in washing, and the baby balls a jack, and it looks like I'm never gonna cease my wandering. I've been wandering early and late. New York City to the Golden Gate And it looks like I'm never gonna see my All right, we're back on Cutting the Curd. Um, our show today has been sponsored by Hearst Ranch, and we are talking the state of cheese in Illinois with Martin Johnson and Leslie Cooper Band. And I was, uh, Martin's going to lead off with some questions about the farm. Um, yeah, I, uh, Leslie, I wanted to know how did you choose the cheeses that you're making and or how did you choose to make those ones your commercial focus well we um we make uh everything from fresh fresh chev or fresh goat cheese to uh several uh styles of semi-hard and even some hard raw milk cheeses and um most of the decision was based on what what I like to eat <laughs> because I, I figured, well, if I like it, then I can sell it better to people. And uh, so we um, we started out with Chev our first year. That's basically all we made. And, and our first year was kind of a shortened year because it took us a while to build our facility and, and actually become commercial and, and be able to sell. And then we, we added Blumy Rhine cheeses. Um, and the decision there was uh, all, well, partly because because of uh, that those cheeses are ones that I like, but also I think that goat goat milk really lends itself really well to Blumy Rhine cheeses, and so many of the French cheeses made with goat milk are are in the Blumy Rhine family, and so we we um, we tackled those and added those to our repertoire, and then started playing around with uh, some tome tome-like cheeses are kind of hybrid washed rind tome uh, cheese 
that's our, our moon glow, and that's a raw milk cheese. And then um, by our fourth year, we actually uh, helped uh, a, a sheep, a, uh, an Amish family uh, pretty close to here who was interested in having dairy sheep. We helped them get licensed as the first sheep dairy in the state of Illinois uh, with the intent of buying their milk so that we would make cheese from their sheep milk. So we added we added sheep milk cheeses to our repertoire. Uh, well, it'll now this will now be our third year doing that. And um, with those cheeses, we we've just kind of been playing around with different styles from soft ripen to so hard cheeses like pecorino style and and things like that. And how do you? Um... How widely are your cheeses sold, and what has been the uh, what issues have you faced in getting them to the marketplace? Uh, I would say that that ninety eight to ninety nine percent of our cheese is sold uh, locally, and and by locally I include uh, Chicago as a market. Chicago is a really important market for us. We we do um, presently about half of our sales are direct to uh, consumers through farmers markets and then the rest is either direct sales to uh, restaurants and and shops or um, through uh, a distributor, a couple of distributors that we have in Chicago. And then we do a little bit of -of out-of-state sales, but mostly just by by request, people contacting us through email and asking Mm -hmm. if they could buy our cheese. I was um, I was talking to C. on Scanlon over at Andante Andante Dairy a couple of weeks ago, and uh-huh. um, she um, she she spoke a lot about how sometimes she works with restaurants to create cheeses that are unique to uh, unique to that particular restaurant, so that her cheese plate can have something that nobody else has. Have you pursued anything of that ilk? Um, actually, we had. We'd been approached by uh, Stephanie Izzard of Girl and the Goat Restaurant in Chicago to do something like that. And we did a little bit of experimenting last year, and, and we may we may pursue something like that this year. But it, it seems like there, there's so much demand for the cheeses that we have in our repertoire for them to have on their cheese plate and that they... Especially in Chicago, given that there are so few Illinois cheesemakers and, and, in particular, artisan cheesemakers in Illinois, that they are they're really happy to have Illinois represented on their cheese plate. Mm. Oh well, I was going to ask too, just about um, you know, as far as um, Champaign Urbana goes. Of course, it's a you know, it's a town with a big um, with a huge ag school. Um, have have your sort of efforts been noticed by them and um, and you know your community as well as the university and have they I don't know have they ha- have they influenced um, you know your fellow farmers in any sort of really noticeable ways? That's a great question. I mean, it is it is a it is a very big ag school and historically it, it's been a really important uh, player in shaping the face of agriculture in in the state of Illinois, but. But sadly, um, there, there isn't much of a focus on dairy science, um, and, and in fact, there is no one in the food science department, for example, that actually specializes in dairy foods. And um, in, the, in the animal science arena, there's, 
there's only one one person on their faculty that actually deals with dairy and and goat. You know, within the realm of dairy, goat dairies is is uh, not really given a whole lot of consideration. So, uh, I but on the other hand, so many of our customers at the farmers market are university folks and the people that are are well-traveled and familiar with cheeses from Europe and, and other parts of the U.S. Uh, they're some of our best customers, and, and a lot of them happen to be affiliated with the university. So it, it, in terms of, 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 um, of advice and, and input, it, there's not a whole lot coming from the university, although I will say that our vet school... Uh, we've we've established a really great relationship with our vet school, and we've had a lot of the vet students out here for um, uh, on on hands-on opportunities working with our animals. So that that's been a really good thing. Uh, but other than that, there hasn't been a whole lot of two-way uh, communication. Interesting. Um, well, and I I find it so interesting too. So then, on the one side, you have the university. Um, community, and then on the other side, you said you have the Amish community, which is another, you know, gap that can be difficult to bridge. Um, how did you guys forge that partnership? And um, are there, you know, neighbors or other members of that community that are interested in doing uh, this kind of value-added dairy? Yeah, it's a, it is a, it's a really interesting community. It's about forty-five miles south of here, so it's pretty close. And and um, what was most interesting is that. Uh, it is a community that historically has had a number of dairies, all, all cow dairies, and um, they were, and they're kind of one of the remaining holdouts for for uh, dairy community in central Illinois. There's kind of a few little pockets of, of remaining dairy farm communities in this area, and they're one of them. And uh, this particular family, or it's actually two families, had, had approached us um, after they had heard uh, about the possibility of milking um, goats and sheep, they had actually had a, a visitor from Chicago who had come down to talk to them, and we had attended this meeting, and a lot of them had, had no idea that, they, that you could actually milk sheep. They'd never even heard about that. And, and after, shortly after that meeting, these, uh, these two gentlemen, um, brothers-in-law, had contacted us and said, you know, we're thinking about this. If we if we did this, would you guys buy our milk? And we told them, well, we would consider it. Here's here are the standards that we would like you to adhere to in terms of animal husbandry and cleanliness and things like that. And and we basically just worked with them, helped them maneuver through the state regulations for getting permitted as a dairy and. Um, and it's a it's an evolving relationship. They've been up here a couple of times. They've brought their whole families up here um, to see what we do. We we of course we go down there to pick up the milk because they can't they can't um, drive. That would be a long journey by buggy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The milk would be worthless by the time they got. <laughs> it here. would be sheep butter, cultured <laughs> sheep butter. Yeah, exactly. So uh, so we go down there twice a week usually to pick up the milk and uh, and it's been really interesting I, I, and they're very open and willing to and they did a lot of research on their own in terms of the breeds and the breeding stock and they went up to Wisconsin to uh, in Springs Creamery Brenda Jensen I don't know if you are familiar with her but she's a really great cheap milk cheese maker in Wisconsin 
and they bought their breeding stock from her, and um, they they really um, set out on the right path to, to do a good job, and they they have been doing a really good job. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. It's, and it's just, just this one family, uh, and they're milking about 60 to 70 ewes, and it's seasonal like us. They're, they're, they uh, milk from late February through September, basically. Wow. Leslie, I had a couple of questions I wanted to ask you. One um, is going to reveal, oh, shall we say, my vintage. Um, when I first got into the cheese business uh, here in New York City, there was a there one of the sort of new American cheeses that uh, made the rounds, and we're talking sometime in the uh, mid '80s, um, was um, a goat's milk blue cheese from Dietrich's Farm in Western Illinois. Oh yes, is, yeah. Yeah, I was wondering not. if that's still on, if that's still no, on the map. They're I, not. They're I knew. Not. I knew. I, that, go ahead. I had been told about them uh, when we started doing this. Uh, a fellow farmer who was actually a vegetable farmer up in northern Illinois had said, "Oh, this guy had made the most amazing goat milk blue," and but he wasn't. He was no longer in business by the time we got set up. And I and I haven't really been able to track him down to find out, you know, what his story was and what happened. Mm. And so you, um, the other thing I was curious about is I hear you do um, dinners and other events on the farm. Mm-hmm. How does that work? Uh, well, they're seasonal, and we have a, a very talented chef uh, who's uh, trained was trained at the Culinary Institute of America. She actually was a chef here in town at a restaurant and then decided to leave that world, and, and we scooped her up, and she was helping us make cheese for a number of years, and then we decided uh, we had this space that we were going to put in as a as a market on farm market, and we decided not to do that, and, and we decided to put in a kitchen, a commercial kitchen. So we we built a commercial kitchen and and um, started offering uh, these dinners that are basically all local food, most of it grown in here in central Illinois. We feature uh, farmers in addition to what we grow, so we often have them as as our guests, and they come and talk to the guests about how they grow their food. It's typically a five-course meal, and it's a very slow food kind of event in in that it's literally slow. It takes about four hours to (laughs) eat the entire meal. Which is as it should be. Yeah, exactly, because it's a lot of food. And uh, we, we cook based on what's available and at the height of its peak peak freshness and flavor of that season. Each dinner has a theme. Uh, we have between 40 and 50 guests, and, um, and we have had several guest chefs as well as our in-house chef do the dinners, and they basically run from the end of May through, uh, through the end of October typically, and, and we now actually have a dining in inside our barn, we we finished out a part of the barn to have indoor dining for when the weather is bad. So, we we've actually been able to extend the season into December with having that that new space. But it but the the basic idea is to be able to eat outside and hmm. and walk around between courses and things like that. I I feel like you know I could see a joy of cheese on the road. <laughs> We could uh, yeah. <laughs> take Martin does a series of cheese tastings. You could uh, <laughs> head down to Champaign-Urbana. <laughs> yeah, you have a standing invitation. Oh, thank you. 
Oh, that's fantastic. And um, so I guess, um, you know, something that I ask um, on every show just to kind of, you know, test the waters a little bit um, is about, you know, raw milk in your state and, you know, raw milk and raw milk cheeses. And and what's your relationship like with um, your inspectors um, with regards to all that? So far, so good is what I would say. Uh, we, we, we knew early on that we needed to establish a good relationship with our Department of Public Health. That's who inspects us. And, uh, and we are, we've, we've been able to, uh, to gain their trust in that we run, run a really clean facility and, and they're, uh, they're, they seem to have a lot of confidence in our ability to produce safe product. They, we've been tested in terms of there was initially some questions about our ability to make certain types of cheese with raw milk, but I was able to uh, hold, hold our ground by telling them that, in fact, FDA allows you to make these types of cheeses as long as they're aged more than 60 days. So we, we, we've been, we have a good relationship. Uh, we haven't necessarily been threatened beyond you know what what we're able to do and just it's uh it's it's always one of those situations where when you see things happening in other states you begin to get concerned that that there might be some intrusion but so far so good that's that's great well um that's really really positive and hopefully you know you guys will inspire countless other uh cheesemakers in your area um do you currently offer any kind of um like internships po- or internship possibilities or if people want to come in and learn from you guys or are you just kind of you know trying to maintain you know the craft that you guys do right now and not really uh, deal so much with interns yeah we, we've had interns in the past and this year we're we're focusing more on on uh we, we've just hired two new people for helping to make cheese and our our focus is shifting away from year-to-year kind of training opportunities to more longer-term investment in our employees. So that that's the direction that we're heading with right now. That's fantastic. Um, well, I always, I think, you know, <laughs> there's so much talk about job creation now all over the place. And I just think that, you know, I hear more and more stories like yours that are really kind of creating, you know, local economies from the ground up. And it's just, it's really, really inspiring and fantastic to hear about. Yeah, we're 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 totally about that. It's it's uh, it's a mutually beneficial situation to do it that way. I think absolutely. Um, well, we actually are almost out of time for the day, but I did want to ask Martin. Um, I know you have a couple cheese tastings coming up, and I want to make sure our listeners can can get in on it. So, uh, if you could give us the skinny. Oh sure. Um, we have well, we have our our. Our monthly event at DBA is on Tuesday, and um, the title of the event is Crunchy, and it's all about cheeses with those amino acid crystals, hard cheeses that are going to be lots and lots of fun. And they pair, and because of their concise flavors and slightly salty finish, they pair very well with a wide variety of beers. And so that'll be February 1st at 7.30 at DBA Brooklyn, uh, which is in Williamsburg. And um, then on the 8th, we're doing one, and my music journalism roots, I think, kind of show with the title of this one. It's called Red Red Wine, and it's all <laughs> about um, taking these same these same sorts of hard cheeses with uh, crystallized hard cheeses and pairing them with a, a variety of red wines, and that'll be taking place at the Clerkenwell over on um, Clinton Street. 
So uh, those are the two big events we have coming up. All the events um, are at uh, one of my two blogs, thejoyofcheese.blogspot.com. There's another uh, Joy of Cheese blog called thejoyofcheese.wordpress, and that has a feature called Fromage of the Day, where I take a cheese, a handcrafted cheese, and uh, pair it and uh, dis- describe it in a sentence, discuss its, discuss its, uh, its uh, optimal pairing companions in a sentence in terms of beers, wines, um, in some cases, other uh, beverages, and um, and then the um, thing that I think gets it makes it so popular is then I'll com- take my music journalism um, knowledge into effect and compare it to a piece of music, and thank and thanks to the wide variety of music that's available on YouTube, I almost always include a link. So the um, the daily the fromage of the day always is a picture of the cheese, a description of the cheese, what what. I think you should drink with the cheese, and uh, gee, if it were a Joni Mitchell song, it would be this, and <laughs> if possible, um, include maybe a, not even just a link to an audio clip of it, but a link to maybe a, a not-too-common live, you know, uh, live video clip of Joni doing the song, or of Steely, of an alternate take of Steely, of Steely Dan song, or you know, or if Derek and the Dominoes live, or some such or another. <laughs> that is so. That is very cool. <laughs> I always say cheese. I, I really do feel like all roads lead to cheese. You know. It, <laughs> yeah, they sure do. <laughs> my my big contention, and I think this is probably why I got drawn into it, is that I think cheese and music are the two thing, or two of the greatest pleasures that are poorly served by language. And so, this is an attempt to kind of elevate the language of each. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and so, Leslie, if people want to learn more about um, Prairie Fruits and what you guys do, do you have a website as well that where people can reference you guys? Yes, absolutely. It's just www.prairiefruits.com. Prairiefruits.com. Well, yes. I certainly enjoyed my time on the website, so I hope our listeners will check it out, too. Um, well, that seems like that seems like it's it. Unfortunately, we are out of time today, but um, uh, I hope you both will join me again on some future episode of Cutting the Curd. I'd be happy to. <laughs> yeah, I would too. And um, thank you both very much. We'll see you guys next Sunday at the same time on Heritage Radio Network. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxby.